Amen. All right, we are in Judges. What is the standard story structure of a story out of the book of Judges? What happens first? It's true. Okay. Okay, so we'll take we'll take uh, we'll do like Israel slavery. I, the word I used is <clears throat> occupied. Some occupying force. God sends a judge. Okay. Why does he send a judge? Because the people cry. They say we're sorry. Yeah. So God sends a judge. And then they listen to the judge, and then the old generation dies out, and then they... The new one raises up. That judge dies. Right. And then Israel falls to sin, and then Israel dies. And then they get into slavery, and then they summon a new one, and then... Very good. All right, so we don't need to teach you anything else, right? Yes. That's the, sp- the gist of it. Um, <clears throat> why are there other tribes and people all around Israel? Because they need to do their job. Okay. Uh, expand on that for me. God said kill them and they didn't kill them. Okay. Who was, who was in charge of Israel during that? Joshua. Very good. All right. <clears throat> Caleb, yep, Joshua, or Caleb was in charge after Joshua. Um, so what's the takeaway? What are we supposed to learn from that? Yeah, there is more specific, a more specific way to say that that I'm looking for. Okay, when? Right away. Obey now. All right, that's the takeaway. God's best plan for you is for you to listen and fully obey immediately. If you don't do immediately what you're supposed to, he's not going to abandon you. He's going to send something to help you, all right? And then, you know, if we do this as human, right? Humans, it's human nature. We come into sin, we fall away, God uh, brings us back. But the best thing for us is to obey now and stay in that obedient state, all right, so that's the takeaway overall. Uh, but what does a judge do? We're still in review. Okay. And determine Are they like a king then? No. What's di- what makes it different? They make the laws make and, the laws okay. and like come up with punishments for them. And then judges are like judges because they like Okay. Them. The other difference is it's non-hereditary, right? That means what? How do you pick the next judge? You just get chosen. Okay, God chooses them. That's the key thing, all right? Um, who, okay, so give me the judges you've talked about. Uh, Ehud was way more than one verse. Yeah, 
Well, you had got most of the chapter. Shamgar, that's the other Okay, one. so that's the third judge if we're going backwards. Right. Joshua. Joshua doesn't really count as a judge because he's got his whole Ehud. own book. Ehud is the second one. Ehud is the second one. What was special about Ehud? Ehud. He was left handed. He was left handed. And he had a left handed dagger. And he killed the king. And he he did. couldn't get his and dagger back because yeah. it was stuck poor in his dagger. Back. <laughs> uh, okay, what's the other one? It does not. No. <laughs> Othniel, very good. Oh, fine. Oh, I think it's All right, and he uh, defeated the king of Mesopotamia. What was Shamgar known for? Oh, he killed someone with, like, a cattle prod. <laughs> he killed 600 men. 600 men, yes. With a cattle prod. Pretty impressive. But it is. So, like, for reference, those of you guys who, who have, like, seen them show beef cattle at the fair, it's the, it's the stick, like, the little tiny stick. It's, like, that big around. I'm sure it was bigger in, in ancient times, but... It's impressive, yeah. All right. Um, so, after each judge dies, Israel experiences about a generation of peace, right? Before they fall away from God, and they again do evil as a whole nation. So this cycle is a great warning and motivation to you and me. Why? Okay, expand on that. You're not wrong. <laughs> How long is it going to, like, if, if we do nothing, right, if we, if we don't actively do what God wants us to do, what's going to happen in, in less than a generation? <laughs> All right, it, it takes a, a generation or less to fall away, right? So that should be a big motivation for us to do what God is asking us to do, right? Do God's work. That's what we're going to kind of talk about today. Uh, so speaking of God's work, our next judge has a story about working. All right. Uh, do you know who the next judge is without looking? Her name is Deborah. Turn to <clears throat> Judges chapter 4. Oh. Yes! Oh. I did not cheat. I wrote my Bible and you can too. For good measure, we're doing chapter 5 as well. So she wasn't 100% right. Well, that's why I said I was thinking. All right. So I was also. All right. Uh, let's start reading at verse 1. Judges chapter 4, verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 5, starting with Phoebe. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying... Oh, we're in Joshua. I mean, I'm supposed to be in Judges, though. Whoops. We're in Judges. She was in Joshua. I mean... And the children of Israel did evil in sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the land of Jabin, <clears throat> king of Canaan, that 
ranked in Hazler, the captain of whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Korashat, and of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had 900 chariots of iron in 20 years, and he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Rephidah, she judged Israel And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah, between Ramah and Bethel, in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. All right, uh, so let's lay out our characters. <coughs> I'm going to start with the first character that came up. Uh, we already know about him. We're talking about characters that we're learning about today. Javin, Yavin, however you want to pronounce it. Alright, uh, what is he king of? King of Canaan. A-A-M? Uh, who is the other guy? Cicero, right? So, what is his job? Um, he's the captain. Yep, he's the general. He's the leader of Javin's army. And what's special about this army? 900 chariots and iron. Yes. <laughs> At the time, chariots are the pinnacle of military technology. Not only are you higher up <clears throat> than your enemy, so you have the high ground, uh, <clears throat> you're also faster than your enemy. Uh, also, some chariots are equipped with swords that extend from either side. So uh, all they would do is just run into the enemy. And if you, <laughs> if you didn't get run over by the horse, you got cut down by the swords that were hanging off the side of <clears throat> the chariots, right? So 900 chariots is a big deal. And all of these chariots are roaming around Israel for 20 years as God allows Javin to oppress Israel. All right? Remember that this is, uh, you know, God allowed this to happen and chose for it to happen, right? Because it's the consequence for them doing what? Sinning. Sinning, absolutely. All right, okay. Who's our other character that gets mentioned? Deborah. Deborah. She's a prophet and a judge. They are not. They are not mutually exclusive. What does that mean? They don't happen at the same time always. Correct. That's not what mutually exclusive means. But Mutually exclusive means they, they, they'd never go together, right? You, so you can be a prophet and a judge, but you could also be just a prophet yeah, or a judge. Right. Yes. <clears throat> All right. So uh, although women in positions of power is much more common now than in ancient Israel, ancient times, you can imagine many people throughout history have been surprised about finding a woman leading the nation of Israel. Although this shouldn't surprise us as good Bible scholars, right? The Bible tells us uh, God does not regard humans as 
we regard ourselves. There is no man or woman in the eyes of God. He's going to select the best human for the job, right? And that means at this time, Deborah was the best human for the job, right? Uh, in a time when a whole nation was turned away from God, she was the prophet, right? She was someone who listens and tells everyone else what God has to say. So she was obviously close to God, and that's why she got the job. All right, keep going, starting at... Turned the wrong way. Uh, chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, please, wherever we left off. All right, we've got a fourth character. Who is it? Barak. 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 You got phonetic spelling? How's it come out? Barak. It's, it's like Barak. Would be and then R and then A with like a U above it. Yeah, bar off. And then okay. Mm -hmm. Bar off. Yeah. Bar <laughs> Alright. Um, so who's this guy? He's new on the scene. Tell me something about him, what we just learned. He's the son of Semi irrelevant. <laughs> Great answer though. Um, so this guy, uh, has been called to be the leader of Israel's army. All right. See how she, uh, asks that it's a question, right? What she says. What does that question imply? No, it implies that he already knew. All right, it implies that. So she says, you know, didn't God tell you this? Didn't God tell you that you're supposed to lead the army? Right, and so uh, this is important because when we do the work of God, right. God has a job for Barak to do. <clears throat> so when we do the work of God, he often sends us some form of confirmation. By Deborah asking this question, she's confirming this direction that uh, God gave to Barak. Uh, so sometimes it's not as explicit as the judge saying, hey, this is what you're supposed to do, right? You, God already mentioned this to you. Uh, it's going to be much more implicit for us, but it's good and encouraging for us to look around for signs like this when you know, we're called to do the work of God. Let's keep going. Verse 8 through 10. Sarah, unto the hand of a woman. Herself, just her, unto the hand of a woman. 
And Deborah arose and went to Bar, to Kadesh. And Barak called Lebanon, Naphtali, and Kadesh went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. All right. Uh, so we're going to add wisdom to our notes on Barak. <clears throat> Tell me why. How can we tell he's wise from those sets of verses? Why is that wise? Wouldn't you want to have a prophet of God on your side? <clears throat> okay, that's fair. <clears throat> but what if that prophet says, you know, you're, you're not going to get the honor if I go with you? What do you do then? Well, it's stupid not to, but we we get a glimpse into Barak's uh, motivation here, right? He is not motivated by the honor. He's motivated because God has asked him to do something, right? So the same thing can apply to us. When we do God's work, we can't do it for the honor or the glory or recognition, right? There's plenty of people out there who are up on a stage for that. But when we do God's work, we can't, right? That's not the right place for our heart to be. So uh, Barak would rather have God's prophet and leader by his side during the battle than take the glory. And that's a really good choice, right? Really wise. Let's keep going. Verse 11. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent under the plain of Zaanaim, which is by Kadesh. And they shewed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinon, was gone up to the Mount of Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, and all the people that were with him from Herosheth of the Gentiles under the river of Kishon. And Deborah said unto Barak, Up for this is the day in which the Lord hath delivered Sisera into thine hand, is not the Lord gone up before thee. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor and 10,000 men after him. And the Lord discomforted Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts. And the edge of the sword before Barak, so that Syria light, lightened down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. So Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto Herosheth of the Gentiles, and all the lost of Syria, and all the host of Syria fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not a man left. All right. <clears throat> so uh, give me a summary. What just happened? Okay, that's really close. It actually doesn't necessarily tell us how God made that happen. Uh, but other than that, you're spot on. Um, it's kind of interesting that it doesn't tell us how. It actually will tell us how in chapter 5. So we'll get there. Um, but uh, essentially, they're getting ready to... Huh? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> essentially... Uh, 
they're getting ready to battle and they're coming together to meet in this valley. Um, notice that Barak's army was up on a mountain, right? And he brought Israel's army down from a mountain into a nice flat valley. Which terrain do you think is better for chariots? A mountain or a nice flat valley? So why would Barak, the leader of Israel, go down there? Uh, well, he doesn't know that's going to happen. <laughs> well, absolutely, right? Number one, Deborah told him, right? But Barak clearly has great faith in God's work because it seems like a kind of crazy decision, right? Uh, so he trusts in Deborah. He trusts that, you know, God has got a plan, right? And God did something that delivered the enemy into the hands of Israel. So handedly that Sisera jumps off his chariot and runs away while every last member of his army is defeated. All right? It doesn't tell us yet what happened. Uh, we'll get to that. But things to know now is that Barak's faith and obedience allowed God to grant him this fantastic victory against those crazy odds. 900 sword-bearing chariots and nice flat ground for them to run on and there was no problem and this is a reminder for us to keep walking in faith even if we don't know what's going to happen or where we're going or how to succeed right we can trust that if we take care of god's work that he'll take care of ours right let's keep going verse 17 through 22 All right, so we've got a fifth character here. What's her name? Jael or Yael, however you want to pronounce the A. Jael. All right. Um, Jael. Um, so she's a Kenite woman. What does that mean? The important thing is that she's not an Israelite, right? Yeah. They're neighbors. They're really close. Uh, in fact, if you remember early on, uh, Moses' father-in-law was a Kenite, right? That's or the the line. So they're kind of family almost, right? But <clears throat> not necessarily an Israelite, right? Um, what else do we know about her? Yeah, don't mess with Jael. 
Yeah. yeah. Don't mess with this woman. Alright? Yeah, it's probably like 10 to 12 inches at least. Well, yeah, I mean, like, don't think of like the little tent stakes that come from your Walmart, like, you know, the thing that bends over right when you look at it. It's probably a pretty decent tent stake. Right? So, uh, can I put anything else in her character list? Our notes. I'm going to say that she was a godly woman, so yes. <coughs> Even though she's not an Israelite, right? She knew what the right thing was to do, and it doesn't say it explicitly, but if we read between the lines, I think we know that, uh, you know, either, either God was using this person uh, to achieve his plans or she knew what was going on and and listened and did what she was told um so yeah she puts that tent stake through one side of his head all the way through out the other side and into the ground uh when deborah told barak that a woman would have the honor in the battle the logical assumption is that it probably would have been Deborah, right? That's If you didn't know the story and you read it for the first time front to back, that's what you might have assumed. Uh, but this should remind us of two more points. One, when you do God's work, his plan is always better, all right, than whatever you think should happen. So you got to be open to that. And two, uh, help can come from unexpected places, all right? We can't assume that someone isn't working for the Lord based on anything other than their actions, right? If they're acting right, then you can assume they're working for the Lord, right? And God has even been known to use those people who don't believe to achieve his plans. So don't put God in a box, right? Just be open to whatever that plan might be is what I'm trying to say. Let's finish up the chapter, verse 23 and 24. So God subdued on that day Hagen, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. In the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king Alright, so these two guys are gone now. And that's basically the end of the story, right? Um... Jabin the king of, uh, and his general Sisera are no more, and Israel is set free. What's interesting about this story is it's different than a lot of the other judge stories, because in chapter 4 we get the history, right? We get the play-by-play, but in chapter 5 we get the same story again, but we get God's thoughts on the situation, right? Chapter 5 fills in some of the details that we lost in chapter 4. And it'll give us some more insights. Uh, so let's start up chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Abinoam. Abinoam. 
All right. Uh, so chapter five is written as a song, and we believe mostly written by Deborah. And remember, she's a prophet, right? So that's how we know that this is God's perspective on the situation. Uh, I'm going to keep reading, starting at verse three. <clears throat> Hear, O ye kings, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou went, wentest out of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped, the clouds also dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that Sinai from before the Lord God of Israel." So we're talking about how God gave Israel that victory, right? You got it. It rained so hard. It was basically like a mini flash flood and the chariots got stuck, right? Later on in the chapter, it even says that the horses got so stuck that when they tried to move, uh, they became lame because their hooves cracked, right? It was that much of a crazy mud. Have you ever like lost your boot in the mud? Like, it's way worse than that. All right, that's what happened. So these chariots and the horses were rendered immobile, and that's how God gave them the victory. All right? The next section we'll read talks about the various tribes of Israel and their involvement in that victory. All right? Some tribes are praised, and others are actually chastised. Sidebar, what are the tribes of Israel? Just so we got some good context. Levites is an example. Judah is also an example. Sons of Israel. Jacob, right? So how many sons did he have? Twelve, right. So there's twelve tribes, but there's actually kind of thirteen because there's not a tribe of Joseph. Right, Joseph, his two sons, uh, actually broke into two mini tribes. Right, so that's what we're talking about right here. So it's basically like big families that got plots of land, and God's going to address them and what they did in this particular situation. So I'm reading at chapter five, verse fourteen. Out of Ephraim was there a root of them against Amalek. After thee, Benjamin, among thy people, out of Mekar came down governors, and out of Zebulon they that handled the pen and the writer. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah, even Issachar and also Barak, who was sent on foot into the valley, for the divisions of Reuben there were great thoughts of heart. Why abodest thou among the sheepfolds, or hear the bleedings of the flock? For the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead abode beyond Jordan, and why did Dan remain in ships? Asher continued on the, on the seashore and abode in his beaches. Zebulon and Naphtali were a people that jeoparded their lives unto the death in the high places of the field. All right, so we've got kind of four different groups of the tribes of Israel here. So Ephraim, Benjamin, uh, Manasseh, and Zebulon at the same time uh, were fighting with Deborah and Barak. Those are the tribes that went, and they are uh, commended for what they did in this section, right? They, uh, or no, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Those four tribes actually fought a second battle that actually isn't even covered. 
they went down south of Israel and fought the Amalekites. And this battle was happening kind of at the same time that Deborah and Barak were fighting uh, their battle. And so they were commended for defending the southern border of Israel. Um, Issachar and Gad went with Zebulon and Naphtali to fight Sisera uh, with Deborah and Barak. <clears throat> the other tribes are not commended so well, and they're even rebuked. So the tribe of Reuben couldn't make up their mind on who they were going to help. All right, They could either go and help the southern battle with Amalek, or they could go up north and fight the battle against Canaan. But because they couldn't figure out what they wanted to do, they stayed home and watched their sheep. Uh, the tribes of Dan and Asher were too busy making money with their shipping and trades all right, to be bothered to help. All right, the takeaway from this is when it's time to do God's work, do it. All right? Don't uh, stay to keep up on your own stuff uh, like Dan and Asher. Don't hem and haw and end up doing nothing like Reuben. <coughs> Instead, be like one of those other tribes that did as they should, right? When God called, they got up and went. Everyone has a different role to play in God's plan, so I hope that you can go from here with a little more readiness to do God's work. And that's the story of Deborah, uh, the fourth judge, and we'll do more next week. Thanks, guys.